Morning is a paid program on 630 WLAP. This is the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, you've got to play pinball. And put in your earplugs, put on your eye shades, you know where to put the cork. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for our inaugural road show. This is the first time we've taken our show on the road, and we are pre-recording in Midway, Kentucky, and have a very special guest. Crit Rollins uh, has a clothing store, and his story is so much greater uh, than just the clothing store, and we can't hear wait to hear it. So here's our host, Tom Dupree. Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, as I do most of these, I'm going to start it off with a psalm. I like to read from the Psalms. Psalm number 12, uh, help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. Sounds like politicians. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips, and tongues that speak proud things, who have said, with our tongue will we prevail, our lips are our own, who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I rise, saith the Lord, I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. And that is Psalm 12. And our guest tonight, today, today is Crittenden Rawlings, uh, who has a bio and uh, uh, curriculum vitae that's so long I'm not even going to try to get into it, not all of it at least. Uh, we are in his store in Midway, Kentucky. Uh, it's called Crittenden. Yes. Fine, yes. fine clothiers. Yes, right. And, um, Crit, I uh, am so happy to have you on the show because uh, I want you to tell us uh, as much as you can about your story and about how you got uh, where you are in life, which is, uh, it, it would probably take us two hours to, to really get into it, but let's try to do as much as we can. You lived in Springfield, Kentucky, actually in Lebanon, Lebanon, Kentucky. Kentucky. Yes. Okay. And tell us a little bit about your early life and how you got interested in the clothing business, which has put you where you are. Well, I grew up on a nice size little farm outside of Lebanon, Kentucky in real country. It was called Pope's Creek, Kentucky. Okay. So I've come a long way from Pope's Creek to Midway even, but yeah. uh, I, w- I've, I always loved clothing. I was growing up as a child, and my father dressed beautifully. 
So from, from day one, I had interest and I started to work in men's shops in my, when I was 12 and 13 and 14. Really? Yes. And you were playing some basketball also. Well, during that period, I played basketball. And pretty I, good, as I understand. Well, I made all state. Yeah. <laughs> and I was a little insulted that I couldn't play with the cats. So I didn't yeah. play for anybody. Okay. <laughs> all right. But uh, then after high school, I got, got broke into the clothing business. I'll tell you a quick story. There was a fine gentleman in Lebanon called John Bowman Brewer. He was a fantastic salesman and gentleman. He came in the store I was working in one summer, and I was senior in high school, and he says, Crit, what are you doing this fall? And I said, well, Mr. Burr, I'm supposed to be going to college. He said, son, go home and tell your mother, Elsie and Genevieve, he knew them, and say, I, he told, told, told me to tell mom and dad, I'll teach you more in three months than any school in America will teach you. Isn't that something? <laughs> and I bet he was right, too. Well, he was. Yeah. And, and I talked my dad into talking to my mother into it, she finally gave in, and he was a brilliant trainer. His life what story. What business was he in? Well, he had been, this is sort of an interesting story. He was uh, 16 years old, and his father was representing a fine clothing company out of Cincinnati, and his father passed away very quickly. So this great story. But then the company gave Mr. Brewer his father's territory because he was the oldest of six children, and he had to make a living yeah. for the family. And so he'd been in the, the garment industry 50-some years when I first met him. Good heavens. And, but he was a, a prince of a man and a brilliant salesman. Yeah. But uh, he, uh, just to tell you a few of his stories on the traveling with him on the road, I was what they called a packer, and I did exactly that. I packed yeah. the car. He traveled in a big seven-passenger Cadillac yeah. and carried 100 samples, and his game was to show every every customer every swatch and every garment to maximize the sales yes but he was brilliant at it and one story i'll tell you about him we would be working through the designs and he'd force the stores to pick far more than they really needed and then as they would start to throw them out he would line them up over on the side and he'd say crit you know what we're going to do? Let's open the store here next to this guy. We'll run him out of business. Uh -huh. well, inevitably, the customer would reach over and grab some of the swatches. But <laughs> so Wasn't was, afraid to put a little muscle on him. No, exactly. But he was a brilliant man, and I probably learned more from him. I traveled with him for two or three years, not all year, but during the selling seasons, and then he got me into the company that he was with. But of all the people I was fortunate to work with, I probably more learned more from Mr. Brewer just about the integrity and honesty and hard work right. than anyone other than my mother and dad. So where did the Marine Corps come in? When when did you do that? Well, while I was at, with this company in Cincinnati, I had to go into the service, and I decided to join the Marine Corps. Always wanted to be a little different, you know, so I joined the Marine Corps, which I enjoyed greatly. So you were uh, working for this company and in the Marine well, Corps? Well, I went, had, to, had to leave the company. Yeah. But I went into the reserve program, which was only six months of active okay. duty. And so I, but I enjoyed the Marine Corps yes. very much. All right. So yeah. you began to advance in the clothing business. Uh, what happened Next, after I worked with uh, this company out of Cincinnati called Seinsheimer Varsity Town Clothes, there was a very famous man called Norman Hilton. He was, oh my gosh, he graduated from Princeton and had yes. a, a great taste level and style. So he heard about me somehow and called me Norman get, Hilton. Uh, so I, I had some of his suits. Uh, they're they're the best. Yeah, he was one of the best in the industry. But a cute story about how I met him. I was going up for an interview. And I was walking down 52nd Street, and I didn't even know where I was. I was in New York for maybe the first time. And I see three men down the street. As I walk up, a gentleman said, Crit, what in the world are you doing in New York? It was a man called Ed Bennett, and he was head chairman of, of Abercrombie & Fitch when they were in their heyday. And so uh, he said, uh, what are you in New York for? I said, I'm up here for an interview. He said, an interview with whom? I said, Norman Hilton. He said, well, let me introduce you to him. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so, so talking how about how did you know that ta- fellow? Ta- well, I knew he had been it just through the industry. Okay. And, and so I had the job before I walked across the street to the office because <laughs> then Ed sold them on me and I didn't even have an interview. They came, went, went to the office and when are you going to start? <laughs> so what were you going to do for him? Well, I started in sales with Norman Hilton and, and then one day, uh, he, a young man that had been an assistant fabric buyer, um, left the company and I went in and I said, Norman, Norman, I'd love to have that uh, merchandising job. And thank goodness he gave me a chance of that. And so from there on, was that uh, a higher position than where you were? It was, then I became t- sales and merchandising. So you were helping uh, buy the, the fabric the and design the suits. So and- that strengthened my career greatly. Yes. That first opportunity. And so every company then that I worked for after that, I was not only in charge of sales usually, but also in charge of merchandising, right. buying the fabrics. Right. But Norman had great style and I was a oh, nervous yeah. wreck that first time I had to take those back and show him because I, oh my goodness, I thought, I hope he likes what I brought back to the table. <laughs> yeah. So that was an interesting uh, part of my career though. And the merchandising part of it, I truly loved and, Right. You know, you through that time, you got to travel all over the world. I've traveled almost every country in the world buying fabric. Really? Uh, China, Japan, Korea, obviously England, Scotland. That's where France, uh, you know, so South America, Peru for Vicuna. Vicuna. Yes. So, uh, I mean, and, and, and some of these things, uh, maybe they're still making it or, but they may not exist anymore. Some, some of them, most of the fabrics are still available. Uh, for instance, Vicuna only comes from Peru and that's only for the real, real wealthy clientele in America. A Vicuna top coat today made by Oxford clothes, an example, which we'll talk about, about a moment. I was president CEO of Oxford, but a, a Vicuna top coat today is probably $35,000 for Good a top Lord. coat. Yeah. That's a lot of money but, for a top coat. But, so they saved the vicuna though they did destroy the vicuna at one time and thank goodness they stopped destroying the animal and now it's it's a it's a well-preserved is it it's uh, a type of sheep yes it's a yes so tell me Uh, some more things what uh what else happened well joining when i what after i'd been with norman hilton maybe a year or two he had an interview with ralph lauren and Ralph was just starting at that time. Ralph was only making wide four inch neckwear. I remember those. Yeah. This, would, this would have been in the fifties or it would have been in the late sixties. Yeah. And so, yeah. Grace Cox, uh, downtown sold them. Yes. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, ha- meeting Ralph very early on was exciting. And he and Ralph, this is a great story. He and Ralph put up 15,000, no, 50, I'm sorry, $50,000 each time to start Polo, Ralph Lauren Polo. Became, Norman Hilton and Ralph did? They started it together. They, they were too much alike for them to work closely. So within two or three years, Nor, uh, Ralph bought Norman out. But yeah. that business went from a $50,000 investment to an $18 billion business. <laughs> <laughs> And it's hard to believe. And uh, Ralph and I are exactly the same age, and he and I became good friends. So I worked for Ralph for quite a few years and enjoyed greatly being working with him in merchandising. I was responsible for merchandising yeah. and sales again. Tell me uh, a little bit about him just as an individual and a businessman because he's obviously he, he's obviously uh, – done extremely well but it, just a little insight into well it. he uh he's a very quiet uh, not a real outgoing uh, personality but had very strong convictions yeah uh he would never listen to anyone i even i would say occasionally ralph i love this design crit that's not me he had in a way of saying not that's not and so but he, he did exactly what he wanted to do. And in more cases than not, obviously he was correct. He had marvelous style. So he pretty uh, much followed his instincts, which was to exactly. talk about the, it, it's kind of an Edwardian style uh, yes. a little bit. Uh, and he revived that, that look and that style in, in America. Really. He pretty much stayed with the great British uh, look 
uh, mm-hmm. fabrics and all. While he obviously bought a lot of Italian cloth, he went to London. He and Peter Strom, who was uh, was at that time with Norman Hilton, and that's when he they were walking down the street. Pete tells me the story, and they see a polo shop, and he, they went into the polo shop, and he said to Pete after walking out of the shop. Pete, that's what I'm gonna call my company, Polo. So that's a great just to be you know involved with him so early on to even yeah. know how he where he came up with the name. It, it seems like Ralph, who probably lived grew up in Long Island, yes, Jewish yeah. kid, yes. you know, no no attachment to royalty or or any kind of uh, aristocracy, had this vision of creating a sort of aristocratic look yes that uh and you would think that would be rarefied but he actually took it to the masses so oh, he did and he, he became the best at that he started at brooks brothers he worked at brooks brothers oh, did for he? quite a few years and then he started on his own and then with norman and then from there it took him though it's fascinating about 15 years to even get it the bit probably 10 12 million dollar business yeah. And then all of a sudden it took off. And when it took off, you know, it just zoomed ahead. W- would that have been yeah. in the 90s? No, that the... would have been uh, probably in uh, probably early 80s when okay. it really started to grow. When it took and, off. And took off. And frankly, there was a man called Peter Strom who was a dear friend and of, of Ralph's and mine. And so Pete wanted me always to be with polo so he called me and i worked for them for 10 years and i was president of their men's tailor clothing division yeah. and and then ralph allowed me to be even select swatches for him which was was for an old boy from pope's creek that was yeah <laughs> that's pretty good <laughs> all right so then i want to kind of get your corporate stuff covered so yeah. in the second half we can talk about your company now let's talk about oxford well, I joined Oxford. Uh, Oxford uh, with two X's. Uh, two X's. Uh, and I was honored. And this goes back to Mr. Brewer. Mr. Brewer, when he was selling all the years I worked for him, he only wore Oxford clothes. So I had this dream to honor him that someday I could be with Oxford clothes. Yeah. So when they called me, I was so thrilled to, I mean this, and I shouldn't probably tell this story. But I was making pretty good money in those days, but I took a huge cut in the salary really? just to take the job with Oxford to honor Mr. Brewer because he had been so important to my learning career in my early So stage. here he was driving around these country roads, going to these little stores and wearing Oxford suits. Yes. So they would a lot of the Boy, that's that's like my grandfather in Corinth, Mississippi wearing linen suits to go run the Ford dealership. I understand men dressed well back then and they took it seriously oh they did and mr brewer a lot of times a young man would say mr brewer how come you sell varsity town but you wear oxford he'd say son it's crap's for selling not for wearing (laughs) 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 and that was the end of that story but he kept selling (laughs) right so I, I was with Oxford, and what an honor it was, though. They, when I joined them financially, they were really in trouble. They were, had been too conservative, and the Italian companies, the great companies out of Italy, Brioni and Keton and Zinnia, were coming in, and they were taking Oxford's business away from them to a larger degree than I even expected when I joined the company. So I really had my work cut out for me, and all I could do was just go for like Ralph and Norman, you go with your instincts. I knew they weren't, they weren't as uh, exciting in their creative part. So we started to put together better fabric collections. Even the, even the cleanliness of the product, even though it was beautifully made, it, it wasn't as clean and as sparkling when you yeah. look at the garments as you should. And I, I worked closely with my head tailor there, head tailors there, we cleaned it up. And while we didn't grow it dramatically, the industry knows that I helped save Oxford Clothes, and so I'm honored, you know, that I was able to save that great company. They're still in business now. Oxford uh, is, is a that's a CEO suit. Yes, you're going to have a rarefied uh, audience for yes. their clothes because not everybody can pay ten thousand dollars for a suit or, no, or whatever they cost. No, you're right. Their their clothing when I joined Oxford in '95. Their clothing was 1500 to about four, 
And when I left, they were already up to the six and seven, eight thousand dollar range for suits. Yeah. And but they bought the best fabrics in the world, uh, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but it was truly the best made suit in the world. Uh, I had my tailor one day. I said, Rocco, they're taking uh, a lot of uh, uh, Italy's taking a lot of our work, uh, our business. I don't believe these people make nearly as good as suits. I want you to rip apart my comp competition, Zenia, Brioni, and, and Keton. And he came back to me one day, Mr. Rollins, we're, we're being taken advantage of. They put very little handwork in. And so Brioni only had 10% of the handwork Oxford did. Keton may have had 8%. Zenia had virtually no handwork because the machine made suit selling for thousands of dollars. So the Italians were brilliant marketers, but they really weren't that wasn't the value that Oxford was. Oxford was still a beautifully handmade garment. I think people from America, and especially people that from out in the country, like stuff that's handmade and well-built. Yes, yeah, and again, because it was truly the finest suit in the world, it was, and, and I still go back to Mr. Brewer, what a thrill it was. I know he would have been happy up in heaven if he'd known I was, Running Oxford clothes when he—that's all the thing he wore in season. Now you, you uh, when you were with Oxford, you uh, you clothed a, a fairly famous uh, family, uh, the Bush family. Yes, that was a thrill. I actually had met uh, President Bush, the father, in a retail store down in Houston, and uh, called Harold's and Harold that ran it and owned it, and he and President Bush Senior were dear friends. So one Christmas day, I'd have to think about the year, well, it was the year that George W. was inaugurated. I get a call Christmas day from the President of the United States. Well, that's awkward in itself. Well, who's pulling my leg? But thank goodness I recognized his voice. And I said, Mr. President, great to hear from you. And we went through the formalities. He says, Crit, we want, I'd love for you to close George for the inauguration. And I said, well, we'll be honored to do it. Well, we have to move quickly. So the one minute. Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. So the following uh, Monday morning, we flew, my head Taylor and I flew to Austin, Texas, and met uh, with the Bushes, yes, yeah. and, and measured him. And then we went to the ranch. He took us to the ranch, which was fun. You know, to see his ranch. I will share this with you. I flew back home that night after being on that old Texas ranch, and I thought, I wouldn't give one acre of good old Kentucky bluegrass for the whole ranch. That's a perfect place to take a break. We got to go to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show, powered by Dupree Financial Group. We'll be back in just a few minutes. What happened then? Leaked classified information. Russia putting a bounty on the heads of American troops. What's happening now? To get the virus under control. I'm all for masks. Postponed, reopening. Enhanced unemployment benefits. Your station for what happens next. An effective vaccine. Defunding police departments. Bow to mob rule. Erasing our history. Check in at the top end 30 minutes past the hour. Because we're going in the wrong direction. Where are we going to go? America. What happens next? News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, I'm Tom Dupree at Dupree Financial Group. Are you tired of your financial institution being closed? That the only way you can communicate with your advisor is through a computer? At Dupree Financial Group, we're doing in-office, face-to-face meetings at your option with our clients and prospects. The volatility and uncertainty of today's financial markets is enough but it adds insult to injury when you can't visit with your advisor personally. Well, with us, you can. For a free analysis of your retirement investments, call the Prefinancial Group at 859-233-0400. Also, be sure to listen to Tom Dupree Show Saturday mornings from 7 to 9 on News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 and dupreefinancial.com. 
Fake Doctors, Real Friends is the podcast that recaps the television sitcom Scrubs from the perspective of the series stars Zach Braff and Donald Faison. I'm sure this is so annoying, but I just want to say I love the show. And I'm like, I'm always like, it's not annoying. Are you kidding me? That's like the best compliment you can give us. So, Well, it's annoying when you're eating food. Join Zach and Donald twice a week as they interview former cast members, directors, and even creator Bill Lawrence. Listen to Fake Doctors, Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Coach Barry Switzer. I was born to coach, so here's some coach speech. Diabetes and COVID-19 don't go together. As we open our world back up, be smart. If you have diabetes or know someone who does, make sure you're following all the guidelines and stay close to your doctor. Manage your lifestyle and pay attention to your numbers. Take extra care of yourself. We can beat this. Learn more at hamdiabetescenter.org. It's already a number one bestseller, and it's called Blitz. Trump will smash the left and win. By famed author David Horowitz, Blitz makes predictions about President Trump that will shock you. He also warns about radical groups like Antifa. Blitz is at bookstores, or get the free offer and save $28. Just call 800-NEWSMAX or go to Blitz411.com. Blitz411.com. Mike Huckabee says if everyone read Blitz, Trump would win. Newsmax says it's the best book for 2020. Call 800-NEWSMAX for the free offer now. This is the Kentucky News Network. A Kentucky judge has issued a restraining order over some of Governor Bashir's executive orders. State Attorney General Daniel Cameron was part of that lawsuit. The order lifts the ban on fans at racetracks and limits of 10 on groups of children in child care. Another hearing on the case will be held next month. Another increase in COVID-19 cases here in Kentucky. Governor Bashir yesterday announced that four more Kentuckians had died from the virus, including a 107-year-old woman from Jefferson County. The state now stands at 585 Kentuckians lost to COVID-19. And a Louisville woman shot to death this week was pregnant. Louisville Metro Police found the woman and a juvenile suffering from gunshot wounds on Thursday. LMPD now says that woman was pregnant, adding that neither she nor her baby survived. I'm Haley Hansen. This is the Kentucky News Network. Happy Fourth of July, everybody, on your Independence Day. It's a sticky one out there on the steamy side with that thermometer into the upper 80s to around 90. Just the smallest risk for an isolated shower or thunderstorm, especially late afternoon. Heading into Sunday and Monday, temperatures again into the upper 80s, flirting with 90. A little more humidity will lead to a better shot for a scattered thunderstorm or two going up. Happy Fourth, everybody, from the WKYT First Alert Weather Center. I'm meteorologist Chris Bailey. Broadcasting live 24-7 from the heart of Big Blue Nation. This is News Radio 630 WLAP, an iHeart Radio station. In an era of fake news and alternative facts, what news source do you believe in? At the Lexington Herald Leader, we cover our community with commitment and care, going the extra mile to get the story and ensure its accuracy, bringing different voices into the conversation, and working to make a difference. We are the Lexington Herald Leader. Join us in supporting the truth with a print or digital subscription. Visit Kentucky.com or call 800-999-8881 today. While you can't believe everything on social media these days, you can believe it's possible to start a new life as an IT pro in as little as four months from the comfort of your own home, even if you have zero computer experience. Instead of waiting to see what happens when life gets back to normal, take control of your future now. Go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. Live online classes meet just twice a week. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. If you shop online, you need to hear this. Truth is, there are deals out there you're probably not getting. That's why there's Honey. Honey is a free browser extension that scans the internet for discounts when you shop online, then applies the biggest savings to your cart automatically. It works on Amazon, Nike, Best Buy, Target, practically everywhere you shop. Exactly. Add Honey for free at joinhoney.com audio. That's joinhoney.com audio. Hi, I'm Tom Dupree with Dupree Financial Group. Are you interested in keeping your business local? At Dupree Financial Group, we don't share a large percentage of our revenues with a big firm in New York or elsewhere that has a corporate agenda that doesn't include Kentucky. And because we keep our revenues local, we are able to invest in our local research and client service efforts. 
We believe the investment business is best when it is personal and local. For a free analysis of your retirement investment portfolio, call us at Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400. Also, please be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show on Saturday mornings from 7 to 9 at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 and dupreefinancial.com. 630 WLAP. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show for the second half of the hour. We are so lucky today to have taken our show on the road to Midway, Kentucky. And as our special guest, we have Crit Rollins. And here's our host, Tom Dupree. So we're visiting with Crittenden Rawlings in his clothing store on Main Street in Midway. And he's telling us about uh, his uh, career. We haven't gotten yet to his current uh, store. But when you were at Oxford, uh, I'm looking at a copy of the Boston Globe from Friday, September 24th of 99. And it's got a picture of the Ryder Cup team, Tiger Woods and some other golfers, uh, Hal Sutton, Payne Stewart, gosh, Payne Stewart. That's what a sad loss that was. Uh, Steve Pate. And they are all wearing Oxford suits that you uh, – well, again, put them in. Yes, our tailor and I, we met with them uh, at various sites, and uh, they were all fun to work with. And it, again, it was an honor, though, to work with that famous group of men and fun, as you can imagine, just meeting them and spending time with them. Great young men. Yes, yeah, lovely. Yeah. So uh, we're sitting in this store uh, here. For those of you who don't know about, is uh, Mr. Rawlings store, Crit Rawlings, we call him. Uh, it's on the end of Main Street in Midway, and it is chock full of uh, really fascinating, well-built um, clothes. And uh, this is kind of the culmination of uh, your style, if you will, uh, and the what's evolved over the years to be your way of looking at clothing, the man, uh, we're sitting in it. Aren't well, we? Well, what happened when I retired from Oxford, uh, I didn't realize that I'd retired so soon. I was bored to death. So I said to my, where were wife, you living at the time? We were living here when, okay. when, uh, we would go back and forth from, uh, Kentucky to Chicago when I was running Oxford. And we had a small farm down in the Harrodsburg area. And, uh, but when I retired, I thought, gosh, what did I retire for? I, I need to be working. So, you know, living in Kentucky, I decided, and I've never done a study to prove this, but I think all Kentuckians will enjoy hearing this. I decided only primarily to do sport coats. So I probably have the biggest selections of sport coats in a small store of any store in the state of Kentucky. I yeah. carry over 200 sport coats at all times. But the reason I concentrated on sport coats was for the horse industry. Yeah. I'm thinking to myself, you know, and we, we probably do sell more sport coats as a state than any state in the country because of the thoroughbred industry. Right. So that's what I concentrate on, and it's, it's really fun for men to come in. Guys, I look at all these beautiful sport coats. And I buy all the fabrics and have them made. I have them made at various factories. Right now, I'm using a great factory out of Portugal. Unfortunately, we lost all of our uh, Taylor and Tom in the United States. Yeah. Uh, the NAFTA agreement buried our Taylor clothing business. I remember I used to uh, buy coats from Hamilton Clothing up Cincinnati. Yeah, they sure. made them right up there. Oh, no, they were a wonderful company. Yeah. But we've lost all of our t uh, Taylor clothing companies. So today, and I, I today... If I were young, I would work diligently to try to bring tailoring back to America and open a small factory and make the coats in the United States. But yeah. it's very difficult today. It's very difficult to uh, do. Yes. Well, talk a little bit about your style. I mean, just to say you make sports coats, <clears throat> that doesn't really cover it. You, well, you got a style, and and it's been influenced 
by various uh, things through it, the years. It was influenced really by the great uh, two of the great men that I worked for, Norman Hilton and Ralph Lauren, who probably in the classic English style uh, uh, area of the industry, they were probably two of the all-time greats. Yeah. So that's where I received my training, and that's what I still concentrate on. I will buy some Italian cloth, but I've never loved the, the Italian cloths the way I do the British cloth. The British cloths out of England and Scotland and Ireland have a texture and a look that the Italians really never captured. So I still concentrate on representing that part of the world, England, Scotland, Ireland. And so my fabrics almost all come from that part of the world and uh, from the best mills that are still available. Obviously, over time, we've lost a lot of mills, but there are a lot of still great mills, Fox Brothers out of England and uh, uh, some of the other companies I'll think of as we're speaking. Oh, I can't think of two or three of the other mills, but they're all out of England and have been in business for most of them well over 100, 150 years. I've got a friend. Uh, I hope he's listening. Uh, he says that the absence of ties on Wall Street caused the sloppy thinking that led to the crash of 08 and 09. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, he wears a tie everywhere. Um, I was started wearing a tie in the fourth grade when I went to Sarah school and wore one right up until this pandemic thing. And, and it's kind of done me in, uh, I haven't been wearing a tie much since then, but, um, you've seen over the years, uh, people going from very uh, upscale, uh, fine dressing to uh, something that, to, to me, it's almost sloppy uh, the way some people look. Well, you're absolutely right, Tom. It, it is, and I will share a story with you that happened to me just this week. I had two young men come in, and I could see they had style, but one of them said to me, I said, you ought to look at some of my beautiful sport coats. Oh, I don't wear sport coats anymore. I said, let me ask you a question, man. I said, you obviously have style. Why would you want to look and, and, and parallel yourself in life to most people today that look like they're dressing up to go mow the lawn? I know it. <laughs> so they laughed. They said, you make a good point. And I sold them both a couple of sport coats. Perfect. But, but yes, casual dress has grown dramatically in the last 10 years. Yeah. But, but, uh, I think a gentleman owes it to himself to own, you know, some dress-up clothing. I'm not saying he wear it every day, but for a special occasion when you have a lovely wife or daughters or children you want to take out, you owe it yeah. to them to show the respect of the, the, the many years you've been around and to, uh, to honor your family by looking a little bit better than... Well, I, Tom's asked me to jump in here, and I am one of your biggest fans, Chris. Oh, wonderful. And and you knew that already. Uh, and one of our boys is also a, a great fan. And when you can engage a early 20s young man in clothing, all is not lost. It's, uh, he walks in here and his eyes just light up. And he, the fabrics that you use and the construction and um, – Crit doesn't line his jackets all the way. He has a special way that he reinforces the shoulders, and it makes it more comfortable for the younger people and, and older fellows like Tom. But it's a softer shoulder than what – it doesn't look like football pads. Yeah, right. I actually, not to interrupt you, but I copied um, years ago one evening in New York when I was with Oxford, I went to an uh, auction. They were auctioning off the Duke of Windsor's personal wardrobe. So we bought – 10 or 12 jackets from his wardrobe. And I love the detailing and the way it was made. And he had had these clothes made for him by custom tailors in Rome and London. And so we bought those coats and we tried to copy it at Oxford, but Oxford was too expensive to want to go to that light soft construction. It was about 20 years ago. 
So I kept the idea in mind. And when I started my company, now almost 20 years ago, I copied those Duke of Windsor coats. And, and I still love to tell people that's where we got, came up with the idea of all the detailing came from coats from the Duke of Windsor. I said, now, he wasn't a great king, but he was a brilliant dresser. <laughs> he didn't last long as king. <laughs> well, and one of, another one of the features that I think is unique to you is your buttons on the sleeves. Yes. Actually button and unbutton. Yes. They're not, they're not a fixed button, which enables a little more style if somebody wants to roll the jacket up or whatever. No, that's a great point. And I was the first company in the world. Now, that's a big statement to make clothing with working buttonholes on the sleeves for off the rack clothing. That's, that's right. What, yeah, the custom tailors had done it for years, but I gambled and I, and I called my head tailor after I left Oxford Rocco. I'm going into business for myself. I want to be different. I want to do working buttonholes on the sleeves. And he, and I said, I've discussed it with a few retailers and they said, Oh, you can't do that. He's all crit. Dude, dude, let me tell you. He said, shorten the sleeves an inch and uh and and uh, raise the buttons uh an inch and so we raise the buttons an inch and then that gives me the alteration of the room for the alteration for the alteration right and i rarely do i miss a sale if a person walks in the shop with real short arms or real long arms maybe but i bet i haven't missed five sales in the in the 10 years we've had our store we're talking with crittenden rawlings his store is what what's the address of this um, 141 east what, uh, uh, east main uh, 141 east main, main in in midway it's at the end of main street if if you're wanting to if you're out here in midway looking around you need to drop in this this shop cuz well cause. and i think did that just cuz i think that that crit you're being way too humble to i'm sitting uh, you have in addition to presidents and professional athletes and I'm sitting looking at a picture of John Calipari and I know he's a big fan of yours as well. He might, he might work out that, I don't know, that UK thing you've harbored all these years. (laughs) (laughs) That I didn't make the team. Right. Well, John was nice enough. A good friend of mine from Memphis, Tennessee had clothed him when he was at Memphis uh, state, I think for quite a few years. And so I was thrilled when he first came here, I called John and he was lovely to work with. And, uh, I will say this. So even if John hears this, he's pretty conservative. So one day he came in here and he was going to the Belmont for the races. Oh, really? And I said, and I knew the sport coat he had, I said, John, what kind of trousers are you going to wear with that? Oh, I'll just wear my regular, regular gray pant. I said, John, you're going to the races for goodness sakes in New York. So I walked out with a white pant on. So he called me three times for the racetrack, which I was honored. He said, Crit, everyone loves my white trousers. So yeah. I taught him a little style. That's good. <laughs> Everybody can use a little bit of coaching, <laughs> right. including him even. Um, do you do you see uh, – are the, are the fabric companies able to keep the quality up uh, – do you do you see yes, you, yes. you feel like they're yeah, the good, still investing in their businesses yeah the good even mi- the good mills like fox brothers out of england uh they they all those mills pride themselves on pay, maintaining the same style and the same quality uh unfortunately we lost all of our mills in the states you know we used to have wonderful small mills in new england new england yeah. had dozens of wonderful mills and after the second world war we put the Japanese back in business and they, we taught them the cloth business. And the next thing you know, all the cloths came out of Japan for years, put all of our mills out. Isn't of business. it amazing how we've uh, allowed different companies to basically steal our technology over to China for one yes. and, and just take, uh, from us, uh, things that were, uh, our own intellectual property and, and basically beat us with them. No, you're right, and that did it. It ruined our business. The Japanese took it over. So we have today in the United States very few mills left, and if they, the ones that are left are big and make volume uh, commercial fabrics. Yeah. It's not, not, you couldn't buy a, a real interesting sport code from anywhere in, uh, from an American mill. You have to go to still to Scotland and England. And, well, that was Warren Buffett's 
first investment, Berkshire yeah. Hathaway. You know, they they made a good shirt at one time, yeah. Hathaway shirt. Oh, they did. It was a and, and he invested in that, and he lost money, but he bought other things. But it he kept the name, but not the business. No, I, 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 it's sad to say the the amount of fine apparel that's made in the United States is is it's is, is very little, uh, unfortunately, left. Yeah. Uh, you almost have to go offshore to get great sport coat fabrics and even to get great construction. You know, I don't want to make my coats in Portugal, but but I don't have any f- factories in America to go to, so I have yeah. to. Yeah, that's right. You got anything else? I knew you did. Oh, offer me the microphone, right? Um, when you when you look at the quality of the the clothing that exists is it um is it because the way that we dress has changed or or have men dress has changed so dramatically that the demand is down or is it too expensive to make what is the reason for the the decline in the other than the offshore things there's got to be a demand i i would say most of it is just due to men uh, i mean even when i grew up everyone every gentleman wore a coat and tie pretty much seven days a week yeah and and today you know there's such a small percentage so it's all because of the dress code has dropped down dramatically that's what's really happened to the line share of the volume it's just the dress codes and i i challenge any of these young men that might be listening dress up occasionally and take pride in it and come over here and I'll educate you and won't even try to oversell you. Right. <laughs> well, your things really sell themselves. Once, you know, if, if you have an eye at all for, for quality and quality fabrics, it's just an adventure to come and look through your racks, the, well, the variety and the feel of things and the textures and the beautiful patterns. I don't know anywhere else that you can find anything that's even remotely close yeah, there is. There, there isn't anything like this. I've got a friend came up from Nashville. He had bought one of your coats somewhere else. Because do you sell through other? Yes, uh, I have about uh, uh, sixty odd stores around the United States, and I have an account in Nashville. And and uh, uh, well, Met- he wanted Memphis to come to the source. Uh, my buddy uh, from Nashville. You remember uh, when I brought yes, him in here? Yes, sure. And uh, there isn't anything like what you're doing. Not really, and I'm amazed. Even in our small village, we get you know nice p- people, folks coming in from all over the world. And what a great shop they'll say! What a fun shop! I try to make my clothes fun too. I'm not. Yeah, real, you do. I don't have charcoal gray and navy blue. I mean, I may have it, but that's not the line share of what I offer. I offer fun clothes, and people yeah. see it immediately. And I, I, I do think I probably have the biggest sport coat selection of any store in the state of Kentucky. Right. Uh, not many stores in a, this is an interesting statistic. My front room in my shop is 330 square feet. And, uh, I, I hang in that room every, every month, uh, 150 to 200 in 25 sport coats. That's unheard really? of. That is unheard and, of. And if you took the dollar volume that I do in 330 square feet, we do great volume for yeah. the size square footage you're working out of. That's right. how they measure sales is by square oh, foot. I know. I, was, I know they do. Well, and you also had a presence in Lexington. You were out, if you're, if people, our listeners are thinking, I've seen this store somewhere. There also was one in the summit that is moving to Lansdowne. And you've got a great partnership with some young fellas that are, taken it to a different level as well yes that store has temporarily been closed because uh, the summit didn't pan out for the three of us as well as it would like so they're in the process they're building a beautiful store there and it'll be a great asset in the old Embry's location yeah, in the old Embry's location which in Lansdowne is, Lansdowne that as you know was a fine lady store for many years it's a good size store. It's going to be about uh, 2,600 square feet, which is a big men's store. And your sports coats and, and designs uh, will be available there. Yes, yes, they uh, will be. With some young fellas uh, that are that are uh, helping you market that. Right, right. No, uh, and I obviously. So uh, you must get a big charge out of seeing these young guys wanting to continue 
doing what you've been doing. Yes, yeah. Oh, it's always a thrill to see a young man in their 20s or 30s come in here and have true interest in dressing, you know, in a fun manner like Norman and Ralph and people of that era. Uh, they're not many, but there's some, thank goodness, still there. Well, and we're grateful they're there, too, because um, the way that we love it, uh, we love the drive over to Midway alone is worth doing. And then once you reach your destination of Crittenton, you'll understand why we've we've carried on so much. It's a it's a fabulous store. Crit is such a gentleman and the hospitality he extends to everybody coming in and he won't hot box you and sell you a bunch of stuff either but he will sell you <laughs> well i really am honored that you all asked me to do your show and i hope your audience i hope we haven't bored them tom we're talking about the clothing business too long <laughs> i think we've probably revealed a kentucky treasure that um, some knew about and some didn't and we love the drive over here today we're gonna close this half an hour out we thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show. With our guest, Crit Rawlings, uh, powered by Dupree Financial Group, and what else? And we'll be back for the second hour, and we'll talk about the financial markets of the week. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. What happened then? Classified information. Russia. What's happening now? I'm all for masks. Postponed. Reopening. Your station for what happens next. The vaccine. Defunding police departments. News Radio 630. Where are we going to go? What happens next? WLAP. Hi, I'm Tom Dupree with Dupree Financial Group. Are you interested in keeping your business local? At Dupree Financial Group, we don't share a large percentage of our revenues with a big firm in New York or elsewhere that has a corporate agenda that doesn't include Kentucky. And because we keep our revenues local, we are able to invest in our local research and client service efforts. We believe the investment business is best when it is personal and local. For a free analysis of your retirement investment portfolio, call us at Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400. Also, please be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show on Saturday mornings from 7 to 9 at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 and dupreefinancial.com. <laughs>